Hey, how's it going? My name is Mike. Welcome to episode two of Tell You What, the podcast. In this podcast series, I get the opportunity to talk with young singer-songwriters about songwriting, the creative process, the live music experience, and the related interactions that arise. I'm very happy to share my music nerd interest in songwriting and live music with you, and I encourage you to check out other episodes of Tell You What. You will find out about some other young artists whose music is well worth your time. You can find episodes on iTunes, as well as at our website, tellyouwhatpodcast.com. Our guests for this episode are Aaron and Phil Reed, who are the songwriting duo that make up the Southern Oregon act, The Brothers Reed. While they describe themselves as familial folk, their prolific music output goes in various directions, finger-picking bluegrass, pop-punk, balladry, galloping full-band rock. While humor finds its way into much of their work, there are also many beautifully crafted, introspective songs with rich emotional depth. I've connected with the bands interviewed on these first few podcast episodes via a series of house shows we have hosted here at Tell You What Studios, that is, our living room. The brothers Reed were fabulously entertaining when they performed here. In the episode, they discuss how they use humor to connect with their audiences. They had us laughing for sure, and they definitely know how to work a room but it was the variety and intensity of their songs that made an impression on me. If you ever considered hosting house shows, I really encourage you to give it a try. There are many, many super talented touring acts out there that really enjoy playing for a quiet, attentive living room of potential fans. And your friends and neighbors get an easy, fun, and personal experience of great new music right down the street without going to a loud, expensive club. If you're not familiar with the house show concept, ask around. There may very well be shows happening in your area, and most hosts are happy to bring more music-loving folks into their shows. And if you do host shows now or in the future, the Brothers Read get the tell-you-what guarantee of a top-notch entertaining show. And feel free to reach out to me via our website, tellyouwhatpodcast.com, if you have any questions about house shows. You can find the Brothers Read music, including the recent, their recently released album, Three, on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else music is found these days. And they have a great website at thebrothersread.com. To clear something up from our discussion in advance, while Aaron and Phil were at our house, they went for their daily run. We happen to live a couple towns away from where the movie Home Alone did some filming. And this movie happens to be a personal favorite of the brothers, as it is for many. So they planned the run to take in a stop at the famous Home Alone house. The movie coincidentally makes an early appearance in our discussion of their musical backgrounds. So let's get to it. Here's our conversation with Aaron and Phil Reed. Cause you won't let me go, but you can't let me stay. You won't let me leave, but you push me away. You act like a wild child movie star when you don't get your way. Okay, Aaron and Phil, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Yeehaw. Woo! Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, I'm here at Tell You What Studios. Where are you guys right now? We're in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, California, at our mother's house. We got in last night. Mama, mama, are you, mama. Are you down there doing some shows or just uh, personal business? Yeah, we're on a short run right now. We, uh, we played in Ukiah, California, on the coast on... What night was that? Friday. Friday night. 
and then we played uh, an awesome house concert in the Bay Area, Saratoga, Saturday night, and then we drove here the next day, Excellent. all hungover and whatnot. Yes. Well, I can see you. Our audience can't, but I think you both look pretty good. So Thanks. I'll uh, vouch for your I'll vouch for your non-hungover looks. Oh, today we're good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's go back in time a little bit. Um, you two, Aaron and Phil, are indeed brothers, true to your name. Um, was there a lot of music in your house growing up? Can you talk about that a little bit? Let Aaron take the first one. Yeah, absolutely. There was uh, a ton. Our mom's a professional musician, so she's always been the director of music at, at churches, and she also had a stint as a music teacher at a school, and then she always did a lot of piano lessons with people growing up and uh you know we we took some piano with her some some more than others i she tried to teach aaron piano yeah i probably had the least amount of piano because in fifth grade she was trying to teach me one of the the pieces that i was learning was the home alone theme song nonetheless Uh (laughs) nonetheless we'll get to that later yeah and uh and um I got out of frustration. I slammed some keys and I uh-huh. broke a few of them. So I was very. Was it in- because the Home Alone theme song proved above your it, pay grade? I think I just <laughs> couldn't get there as fast uh-huh. as I wanted to. You know, I'm, I'm, I was, uh, I've always had an ADD, uh, or not ADD. Um, what do you call it? Um, we were obsessed. Uh, OCD, psychotic kind of ten- uh, uh. tendencies, and so but, I mean, <laughs> they were very amplified. I'm sure when I was young, and I didn't know that I should control those things and whatnot. But anyway, I broke the keys, and because of that, we uh, she didn't teach anybody else piano. Yeah. So you suffered as a result of your older brother's that's how, uh, temper. That's how most of my life goes. Yeah. <laughs> Our mom didn't want to teach us anyway, though. She was like, find a different instrument. We did have to play an instrument, though, um, starting in sixth grade. We had to okay. do something, and I chose guitar. Um, Michael and Philip went the less, well, the more traditional route and chose a band instrument at first before Michael just decided he was over band and just went to drums instead. And we just, Phil decided to play flute, which having hmm. two older Midwest brothers was just your cannon fodder for, for <laughs> insults because we were stupid and didn't think flute was cool enough. <laughs> yeah. So when did you pick up the guitar, Phil? Uh, I would say I was 10 years old. When you... Pretty much mimicking my brother's behavior and then... Uh, okay. But there was always a natural draw to uh, to play either guitar or piano. I mean, piano for sure for having it in the house, and then guitar came in the house. But uh, Aaron started listening to things like Smashing Pumpkins and Rage Against the Machine and Tool and all that stuff, and I mm-hmm. just got really deep into that kind of sound and wanted to recreate it. So I picked up the guitar and did my best to do so. Right. So if I have your family personal history correct there there is a decent age gap between you two and Aaron you moved west a number of years before Phil came yeah. to join you grew up in, in both grew up in St. Louis to be clear right yeah um, so before Phil came to west to join you am I correct that the two of you had not played much music together no virtually none pretty much none there's a few times where I would come home for Christmas and we would play like at mass together Mm -hmm. but there was no family jam sessions before not with uh, not with Aaron we have a we have a brother between us Michael and he lived at home and I used to go hang out with him and and his buddies he's about 
two years older than me, and uh, we'd go get really high and just like play <laughs> for hours and hours. Just sometimes it was rambling nonsense, and other times it would connect real well, and we would just it would be awesome. So, so when the two of you did get together in Oregon, um, was it? Uh, a natural progression to start playing together since you had that common ground? In other words, was it different than, different than just jamming with some other random musician from the Portland area when you two finally did play together? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was way different. Well, first, Phil got in. I was in this, like, punk band called Buckle Rash. Okay. Um, and it was my songs. It was, like, punk country, basically. And uh, Phil joined that band as, like, the backup singer, crazy hype man slash percussionist at times but he basically would just do lewd and lavicious things while uh <laughs> while singing backup vocals and uh then from there we would play little solo gigs here and there and i would i would get him hooked up with little farmers markets and uh wine bar kind of gigs you know a couple and then we by happenstance played one together one day which we had done in the past I would come home to Missouri and we'd like play a show together and we kind of just like knew some of each other's songs, knew a lot of the same covers. We'd jam along with each other. Whatever. It was very unrefined at yeah, first. Yeah, it was very unrefined. Right. And that's what we did at this farmer's market or artisan's market. And the guy was like, hey, I just want to, I just want to hire that from now on, just the two of you together. Okay. So then we just organically refined it through playing gigs. There was never like a conscious moment of like, okay, we're going to do this now. You know? Yes. We're going to play as a folk duo act as brothers. And it's just, it's just the demand fueled um, the, the progress, basically. At some point you became the Brothers Reed. Uh, yep. The name existed. Yep. It just, I think it was kind of like a way to be like, well, we're playing, so let's just say the Brothers Reed. Um, were you always, both of you always writing songs? Was one of you writing? How did that... Uh, the songwriting enter into your collective process. Yeah, we've we've both always written music. Um, I didn't write as prolifically until we started this project. But uh, I had a band back in Missouri, and I would write songs for the band. And and Aaron's been doing music um, semi professionally for fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, if you if getting paid to do music is professional, and I guess I've been professional for that long, even though there were dark periods yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I never actually uh went for it and i and i wouldn't even say i did with the brothers read it just kind of happened so mm -hmm. i got really lucky in and have in finding success in like the first real project that i was ever yeah. involved in bill doesn't know the real struggle <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh so can we talk about your writing process do you uh each write individually all the way through to the end? At what point is there collaboration, if there is any, and are there different ways that that collaboration happens? I, I, for the most part, we write individually near to the end. Whenever the, the guy hears it for the first time, at least with Phil for sure, he kind of seems to definitely work his stuff out almost in, to where it's almost entirely worked out. He writes in his own time. I write on like the weirdest occasions on the fly. Like, like we were at a show the other day, a very loose market. It was the same market gig we originally got, and I like literally between songs got an idea and turned around and pulled my phone out and just like whipped out a minute of it real quick. 
and that was it. So he kind of hears my stuff along, but now we write individually pretty much to the end, and um, and then we just throw in our little tidbits of of what we might think should change about it. And then the other guy writes his part for the most part usually too. In terms of the arrangement. Yeah, like it's yeah. there's not like a lot of input for oh this is how the harmony goes or or this is how you should play this. I think we have like such similar musical tendencies as is that it's like we just know whatever the other dude does is the right thing. Yeah. And we'll be like uh Back to the odd writing styles, like we've been on a couple of tours where Aaron has sat in the uh, passenger seat of the car or the van and pulled out a guitar and written a song right there. <laughs> and I'm definitely no way. I I gotta be alone. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm just don't want maybe people hearing like the mistakes that I make while I'm writing, and then like just the the form formation of it all. Right. It's a very long drawn out personal process for me. But uh, yeah, I wish I could just like sit here in front of strangers and write a tune. <laughs> and have either of you seen that process change over the couple of years you've been writing in terms of the way you work with each other? Or has it always been kind of similar? Pretty much always been this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we, we've written like one song fully together. And then we've had like at least one more song where like, Phil had the guitar part written and then I just started writing vocals to it, you know, which was Baby Child. But Lay It All Down is the one song, pretty sure that's the one song that we just co-wrote basically, mm-hmm. start to finish. So, And then my verse. Those are a couple of songs out of, and I happen to know that you are you are very prolific, a mm-hmm. lot of songs in total, right? Tons. Correct. Not tons, so, but I mean... Only a couple that have you would say have been a truly interactive collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, is, it, it, it isn't even at the point, it, there aren't even points where one of you would have a song and the other would say, oh, I think we should change that lyric in your song. That doesn't even happen. Like a line, words doesn't get changed. Not too much. Not that I can super recall. And I, and I think yeah. it just comes back to the naturally doing what we would, the other guy would probably do anyway, you know, right. like, in a way, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I trust Aaron's songwriting, and I know it's very good. And, okay. And, and it is, yeah. So we, we both have a lot of faith in each other, and we both respect each other as songwriters. And I think if we ever did want to change something or see a necessary change, we would call it out, but that just doesn't happen. Uh, this might then be a repetitive question, but how how do you think being brothers influences your creative process? So you are writing about, as as creative people, you're writing about your personal truths, for example, about things that are that have happened to you or 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 uh, your take on situations. Yet you have both spent so much of your lives together and have this shared history. The other one may have a different version of that same experience and, and is there any kind of uh, I don't want to say judgment book but thought on the other one's part about what the your brother has written about that you have your own insights into I think the real kicker is that we didn't spend most of our lives together Aaron left home when I was about okay. 12 years old and he went to college and then I didn't see him again until I moved to Oregon uh, almost right. five years ago 
So oh, you saw him. He's in yeah, I saw him. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there were there were hardly any shared experiences after twelve years old, and uh, until uh, I mean, there have been some major life changes in the past uh, few years in our family that we have um, gravitated towards as far as material for songwriting. Um, specifically, our father came out of the closet a couple of years ago, and okay. then uh, and our parents got divorced, and they're figuring out their lives, and uh, yeah. Aaron's written more songs about that than I have, but it was definitely an emotionally charged subject, and I don't think that the songs for that are quite over yet. There, there's going to be more. I mean, I for imagine. me at least. Right, I'd imagine so. Yeah, I'm going to change tracks here a little bit. You both, uh, you guys do a lot of live shows. Mm-hmm. Um, how does, how do you think that performing live so much influences your songwriting? Uh, you can answer this a number of ways. So are you able to write on the road? You did talk about that a little bit, how each of you approaches that. Um, you get ideas for your songs from being out there on tour. Uh, do you try out fresh songs while you're on tour that you may just have written and then get feedback on them? So, um, I, I think we, being on the road and playing so much, we know that we, we need to write. Um, we need to be putting out new material because that's all we really are. We're not like a, sh- I mean, we are a show now we've developed a show with the comedy and, and stuff, but we're not a, a full live band that jumps around stage or has like dance music to fall back on or any kind of lighting kind of thing. So like if you're coming to see us, the, the entertainment value is us bantering with each other. And then the possibility that it's like, we're always putting out new stuff so you could find something new at any time. You know, we, if we were just playing that same set for years, which I know bands and acts that, that do get by on years of touring, just playing like the same set basically. Right. Uh, but I think we would lose a lot of people and, but, and not be able to play that much if we didn't write so much. When you're on the road, are each of your shows then different or when you're performing in the area, or is each set list different? Do you change it up that much? We don't even write set lists unless we're playing like yeah. a half hour or less set. But we do have many songs that people have uh, attached themselves to that we play at every show. Right. Uh, we You know, the hits. We have the hits. And then uh, there's that filler time in between where we have such a large, cat- large catalog to, to pull from ourselves. And uh, like Aaron said, we don't write set lists, so we play... We play what we want to play, which is really great. And according to what we feel like they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we read the audience really well. I think that's one of our strong Mm -hmm. points. Yeah. And uh, so many of our songs are different, different styles, different different speeds. And there's kind of like we let you ride this wave with us. It's plenty of variety. It keeps you interested and keeps you entertained. Mm -hmm. And then we throw in the jokes and the banter in between and... And it really does become a full-on entertaining performance. It's a show, you know. Well, I, I can vouch for that. You did a, a, a show in our living room that was really entertaining. And I did want to ask you about that. Um, when at that show, it seemed uh, you guys worked the crowd really well. It seemed important to you guys to make that connection like you've been talking about. So that was not just a, a house show experience that I had. That is that is your That is important to you at all your shows to to try and connect with the audience and feed off of that a little bit. Absolutely. Correct. And we've, I think we've been so spoiled with being able to do it that it could even get like a little, 
if we're not connecting, we're like, what the heck is going on here? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so. um, would you say that your experiences with live shows as audience members uh, has influenced the way you approach that? I mean, I think live, you are live music fans, if I remember correctly. So yeah. how does that fed back into your, your performances? Uh, I, I know what I want to see, you know, um, when I go to a show, I want the whole package. I don't just want the music, you know, I want the interaction. I, I think my ears just from that, they need breaks. One thing that I really have Hmm. hurts me with a band is if a band just goes song to song, to song, to song, to song, no break, no decompression. I, uh, I I can't hang with that. And then Mm -hmm. I also, you know, like it when I get some engagement from them and you know there's just that whole I'm at the show aspect and I'm not just listening to a performance of a piece of music you know what I mean Um, right so I want to do that that stuff too and I also like it when people kind of change their songs up a little bit live and everything I know a lot of people don't like that but I don't mind when people play like different versions of of their own thing even and we we do that too we have some songs that we can we play a number of different ways depending on what we're feeling like that night or what everybody else is feeling like so do you think that songs are songs like there are not themes that were meant to be written in one style or another the same song can become different songs in different styles the same idea yeah i think not on every occasion but yeah, that's kind of true. It's funny that you bring that up. Like our favorite singer-songwriter, Tom Van Zant, once talked about how his songs are like children. Mm-hmm. They're his own children, and once they're written and he and he lets them go, like they they go to become their own thing, and then other people latch onto them and create their own meaning to them. And and in that way, they are different, you know, in content and meaning. They they become different for everybody. But that's it's funny because like you write a song and then. And you're so emotionally into it, you know, like right when you write it, like right when you're in the middle of writing it and maybe a little bit after it's complete, it's when it feels the best to play it for me. And then over time, you know, it's almost become like muscle memory to play the song. And there are the nights when you're like feeling it really strongly again and you can drop into that song and and, in that way you do perform it better too. But yeah, I don't know. Does that drive you to want to write more songs to get that feeling back? With exactly. Something? Yeah, it's like a drug. It's it's an addiction. You want to you want to get that feeling back so you keep writing these new songs. Phil, you you seem to be. Uh, I don't mean to 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 uh, say that Aaron is not thoughtful in his process, but you seem more deliberate in your in your songwriting. So when you are on the road and you happen to come up with a new song, will you? try it out relatively soon on an audience or do you want to give it more work before you before you let it out there um i think i'm more hesitant to try it out but Mm -hmm. but i do like to see how everybody reacts to it my songs are are, tend to be darker Mm -hmm. and more melancholy than aaron's so uh sometimes you don't you know in like a lively audience that's a little bit chatty you don't get the reaction you expect for this the more melancholy songs that are written um, Aaron tends to write really good, upbeat, positive themed songs, and everybody latches onto those really well at live shows, which is why we perform a lot of those. Uh, and, and I'm definitely the cynical one of the two of us. Which <laughs> yeah. Is funny. yeah, yeah, that is funny. 
So you touched on this earlier. Humor seems to play a part in your um, your performances and your songwriting. What do you consider humor's role in both of those worlds, both the songwriting and performance? And and how do you find the right balance between making people laugh and, and getting your message across uh, thoughtfully? I, I think like the the getting them to laugh between songs really loosens them up. And it goes back to that thing I was talking about where bands that stop between songs and talk a little bit, it adds to a flow. It's like, okay, here's this peak of comedy, something so loose, we're just, that has nothing to do with the next song, even though we will find funny ways to, to segue into that song, even before we were talking about um, didn't have anything to do with it. But, and then, then you, you know, you ride this peak and then we kind of bring you back down in because a lot of the stuff we have, even if there is a sense of irony or sarcasm in some of the lyrics, yeah, we rely a lot on that shock value. <laughs> so especially like if if we're having a hard time getting a room to to kind of listen to what we're doing, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll amp up the uh, the shock value of the jokes, and then we'll get somebody's <laughs> attention, and then they'll listen, and it tends to work. It's pretty fun. Or if they're really listening hard and they love the shock, we will go oh, yeah. walkers, which doesn't happen that often. But is there such a thing as too far? Uh, yes. I don't know. <laughs> we, I don't think we've hit there yet. We've gone pretty deep into chaos before, um, <laughs> especially on this last tour. We're, we're, we, we we recorded a sh- the whole show in Nashville, which is probably our most no-holds-barred show we ever had. And it's just because the audience wanted it. Yeah. They were just eating it up too much, and it was just every step farther we took, <laughs> it was it was well-received, you know, so... Um, we might we might actually end up putting that out on YouTube with a big old disclaimer. If you're one of our more wholesome listeners, which is there's probably not many of them, right? May not be the show for you to listen to. Well, this seems the appropriate time to talk about the video you guys recently put out for the song "Ho Down in Heaven." Oh yeah, um, it's very entertaining, and it involves, among other things, the two of you each meeting your demise in yep. uh, creative ways, yep. uh, angel costumes. Um, the a star acting turn by who I believe is the third brother, yep, Reed. Uh, some hidden talent there for sure. Uh, can you talk about that song in the video and uh, in the context of the humor aspect we were just talking about? I'll let Phil talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron wrote the song "Oh Down in Heaven," and it's a it's a tribute to Merle Haggard. And uh, we were we were, we knew we were going to do a video on the road, but we didn't know how we wanted to do it. And um, there was some brainstorming going on, and I think one day I was just trying to find find ideas for it, and I played it on Spotify and some headphones, and immediately the image of, of angel, dying. angel costumes <laughs> and, and different ways of dying and ending up in heaven uh, came to my mind. And, and I ran it by uh, our videographer, and I ran it by Aaron, and everybody agreed that it can be done, but tastefully. We, we'd have to I was like, dang, dude, we're going on a tour and we're like, gonna die in a van? I'm like, I don't know, this better not be prophetic. And, and that was another thing. fate. Yes. Yeah. That was another thing. We were on tour. We didn't have a, a whole heap of options in, in filming this thing. So definitely wanted to try and like incorporate something we could do on the fly, something quick, maybe involve the van, which we did. Um, so yeah, we ended up in Nashville where we 
we're at our brother's house in over two days in Nashville. We filmed that mostly in his front yard in our garage or inside of his house. And then we did one scene in St. Louis, and that's the scene where um, Aaron is flailing around in slow motion while I'm standing there, still as can be, playing the guitar solo. Yeah. And uh, Aaron actually got injured during the making of that scene. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you didn't die, so the prophecy did not necessarily come true. But I cut my finger. Was that when you dove, or when yeah. you were just yeah? Because we, we I don't even think we put that we in. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't use this dive, like run and jump through the air into these thickets. Yeah, and we didn't even use it. it. Just sliced my hand up, so it was like blood all over the, <laughs> the white. Yeah. We were <laughs> like, thing. I was like, what happened? We were right next to this dirt road in the middle of this wildlife preserve. And uh, there were these like fishermen driving by, and we're just in angel costumes going nuts in this field. And, it, and after <laughs> after Aaron cut his hand, he uh, and we finished filming, he would just wiped it all over the front of his angel costume. So we come like walking out of the woods in these angel costumes. One of us is just covered, covered in blood. blood. It was a really morbid scene, man. <laughs> They're just like That's good liberals. the usual well if the vision of of bloody angels rolling on the side of the road isn't enough to get our listeners to watch I I strongly encourage them to to (laughs) check out the video well there's a hole down in heaven you best bring your dancing shoes there be lots of fancy women lots of beer and lots of booze and the band's lead guitar player is deep Jesus Christ, there's a hole down in heaven, and Merle sings tonight. In the spring of 37, down in Old Dale, California, there was born a boy by the name of Merle, as the world would come to know him. And his mama tried to control his fate, but he gave no consolation. Let's talk, if we can, about a few specific songs. Maybe get some feedback from you guys about their um, origin or story. Uh, you uh, already mentioned um, your admiration for the songs of Towns Van Sant. We've talked about that um, before, the three of us. On, the, on your latest album, Three, there are, if I'm correct, two songs that directly reference Towns. Um, Waiting Around to Die, obviously, which is a, a, has the same title as one of his songs. And, yeah. and Caroline, also. Yeah, that um, is more maybe, direct, for sure. Okay. Can you maybe talk about uh, those, how he has influenced you and, and maybe how that shows up in one or both of those songs? Well, you can talk about Waiting, waiting Around to Die actually has nothing to do with that. Okay. Um, it's a the, coincidence. Um, yeah, it is a total coincidence. Um, just because the, the chorus is... I'm not wasting time waiting around to die. So it's 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 just um I could have put not waiting around to die as the song title but but it just doesn't flow as well. And you know there's like a ton of songs called waiting around to die. Right. So I was like it doesn't matter even though it is kind of cool in an ironic in a way that it's um a town song. It's funny. I would say it is a. I would say it is a more optimistic take on the title absolutely. than his version. Yeah, yeah we absolutely, actually yeah. we did a recording of that song on Jam in the Van. You ever heard of it? That's where I first found exactly. You guys. That's where you found us. 
Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing out of Los Angeles, for, for those of you who don't know. It's uh, these guys tricked out a, an RV, and they, have, they bring in artists anywhere from amateur to incredibly well-known, amazing musicians. And they, uh, they have them play a few songs in this RV, and they professionally uh, record it with video and audio. Anyway, we went down there and we did that and we recorded Waiting Around to Die and I watched the video and there's a comment below that somebody was upset because they thought it was a Towns Van Zant cover. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. No. Uh, how about Caroline? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, Caroline, uh, I directly wrote that in relation to Tecumseh Valley, which is one of Towns' songs. And um, it, it's almost phrase for phrase um, directly related to the phrase for phrase song of Tecumseh Valley. So if you listen really carefully to Tecumseh Valley and then you listen to Caroline, you'll you'll see so many similarities in there or just like hidden meanings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wrote that actually here. We were um, we were here for a few, for a week or so, and I went in the guest room to lock myself away because that's how I write. <laughs> and I, I came out with that tune, and then. It, it started really mellow on acoustic, and and then we brought it to the full band, and that's how you hear it on the record. It's way more produced and uh, a, a lot of a lot, few more additions and a lot heavier. Caroline, how'd you handle everything you were handed? I hold glass home full of stone. I never knew you, but I feel you Want to warn you not to go But you aren't real though, or are you? I never know Caroline, second son It is young, on the ego I won't see her at the break of dawn talked about your, your the music you listened to growing up was 90s era music yet you have this affinity for towns fan sant so how how do you how has your study or fandom of him influenced you guys as musicians or songwriters do you think definitely the finger picking uh that actually i started finger picking from from listening to joe pug who's oh, okay. actually an artist from chicago illinois who also has a very good songwriting uh, podcast that that inspired yeah. me to get this. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. He he's he's one, he was one of my heroes for a long time. He still is. Uh, but then I found discovered Towns Van Zant. A friend of ours from the coast of Oregon sent a link for actually waiting around to die, and that was the <laughs> first town song we listened to. And then, uh, yeah, we quickly got obsessed with him. But uh, I don't know. I just. That we definitely respect his way of writing, and so much so that I was having like writer's block one time, and Towns was, was is known for taking a lot of drugs and alcohol and just writing these just incredible songs. And uh, I tried to do that one time. I locked myself <laughs> in my room and when I was living with Aaron and just drank for like three days trying to write like a Towns style song. How'd that and, work out? 
uh, I wrote a song, <laughs> and it's it's about not being able to write the perfect song. It's called Perfect Song. It's actually on our second album, Monster in My Head. But yeah, he's definitely uh, made an impact on what we're doing. Would you consider that a cautionary tale, though? Yes. You, did, you haven't tried that <laughs> it's again. It's not for everyone, especially <laughs> not me. <laughs> yeah, we're more like, we like to get a good long run in in the morning, eat healthy, and then write a good song, not shoot That's up a Coca-Cola and Jack tactic. Daniels. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wouldn't get shit done if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now you bring me to another question. You are both dedicated and accomplished distance runners. Uh, you run marathons. You also compete in 100-mile ultramarathons. Which we have is, not gotten to do you, that. You intend to. Yeah, we were registered, and our race got canceled for smoke like a week and a half before it started last year. So how do you think that part of your life impacts your performing, and maybe more interestingly, your creative process? So obviously staying in great shape makes touring life easier to handle. But do you think that endurance training of the kind you guys do maybe helps your creative process? For sure, it clears you out hardcore. Nothing cleanses you out like sweating hardcore and breathing very heavy for extended period of time to the point where you have to be rhythmic about it. Yeah, clarity, definitely. To, yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, it's the, it's a drug in the same way that drinking like a beer. It's like if you have like one beer and you're super relaxed and that feels real good, except you know that you didn't drink anything and it lasts way longer and it's actually even better feeling. So it is like an extended pleasantry drug. You know? So in a way we're addicts. Yes. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. The so, running is the only thing we do consistently. <laughs> do ideas come to you on the runs? Mm, not really for me. I just, I'll work stuff out. Yeah. On a run, but, uh, but no. Okay. And hard. So. Okay. I've uh, run and uh, there's this town song that I, I learned. It's, it's difficult because there's 13 verses in it and there's no chorus. So uh, you just really have to remember all the words. And uh, I've been on a few runs where I just ran those verses through my head over and over again, trying to memorize it. But afterwards, you are kind of in that place where you're able maybe to access your subconscious or wherever it is your ideas come from. Yeah, just you feel good. So yeah. you're not worried. Your mind isn't on the way you feel anymore because that's fixed. Right. So you get to really focus on making music. I say it diminishes my creativity. That's why I'm an afternoon runner for the most part. Um, when I'm like recording or writing, it's writing is always like usually when I wake up in the morning. It's like happens. I'll do my work okay. first, especially like if it takes creative energy. And then I run in the afternoon. And I can do things like put on a show where like I'm not, you know, using my brain super hard. I would say I'm like using my heart or whatever harder in a show. And I can do that fully relaxed. Like if I'm like relaxed, you know, then it's harder for me. I kind of need to be in a slight state of agitation to get stuff done. To write specific. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about the song, uh, Hey Old Man. Um, this covers uh, 
partly the theme of time passing, I think, which seems to crop up in a number of your songs, but it also references songwriting. Is it perhaps an ode to the creative life you've chosen? I'm not sure which one you wrote that, but... Um, yeah, I wrote that song. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I have a... There was this theme for a while. I wrote, I've written a few songs kind of about just that feeling of not being sure that you're doing what you should be doing while with the time that you have on this planet, you know? And it's kind of feeling a little lost or or just waiting to be fulfilled, you know? And it's just kind of like this stagnant feeling that you kind of just have to push through and work out in your head that you are doing the right thing, or at least, you know, I've learned that I am, and you can only do so much. And uh, But yeah, that's what that song's about, just kind of getting older and trying to sink into the feeling that that you're doing what you need to do. so many songs do you have a sense when you've finished writing a song that this is going to be one of the good ones like so in other words do you have a sense for if you finish the song oh my brother's gonna like this or my um, uh, significant other or whoever's opinion you value will be like oh yes they're gonna like this one or is it a surprise for you when others react positively to your songs I think I pretty much know who's what which ones are gonna appeal to to whoever, and then every once in a while I'll think, okay, this is a really good one, you know, like and but th- those are actually not super super common because being hypercritical is a pretty typical artist thing, and. You know, I'll end up being like, most of what I've written is cool and like mm-hmm. it's whatever good, but it's not. I wouldn't, you know, for me personally, it's, it's hard to think like, wow, that was so great, you know, and that song is just great, you know. But there, there, there are a few where I'm like, okay, I don't know where that came from, but I wish I could channel that juice every right. time, you know. Yeah. And then there's there's songs that you know in your head are really great, and then you try and produce them and put them on recording and mm. it just doesn't turn out how you think. And uh, sometimes those get left behind and yeah. that's okay. You just got to move forward and keep writing. Let's talk about the song Mr. Doe, if we can. Uh, we talked about humor in your songs and performance, but this song is, is a fairly intense song, both in the production, the sound of it, and, and lyrically. Um, okay. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, mm. uh, there was a definite definite phase of of writing songs about addiction and I've had, you know, in St. Louis, I've had some friends die from heroin overdose and some friends just ruin their lives because of it. 
and uh, I kind of latched onto that idea, and that's what Mr. Doe is about, just just ruining a relationship, and and your your mistress or whatever is the drug instead of the person that you belong to. Southern Oregon has influenced your songwriting. You have a specific song called um, I don't know Southern I'm sure. Oregonia. Southern Oregonia. Maybe yeah, yeah. talk about that, that in terms of that song. Um, well, oh, we love Oregon. I mean, it's definitely like yeah. every single thing about it. It's totally home. We were we were asked once or twice on tour. You know, if, if all the places we've been is there, if is there like, and we could just like live one. We could pick any place we've been and be able to live there. Where yeah. would it be? And we were both like, where we live. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, yeah. It. yeah that, that's where. The yeah. shittiest part about Oregon is that it's a terrible place to live if you want to write sad music. Yeah. Because you're never <laughs> sad. So yeah. you really have to dig for those feelings to, to bring out a sad song. But yeah, I love it. It's, it's amazing. And what yeah. about that song? Southern Oregonia? Yes. That was just like, just like a upbeat ode to yeah. where we live. You know, yeah. like it's it's like, do you come here? We haven't had a single person ever come to where we live and be like, "Dang, this place is nice." Everybody's like, "Holy fuck, this is magic!" <laughs> I'll Much. be out there in a, I'll be out there in a few months, so we'll be able to t- test test your theory. Yeah, you're coming to Southern Oregon. Yes, right oh, on, man. Yeah, in a man. van, so we might stay a while if you got room in your backyard. Oh, dude, heck yeah, yeah, dude. Let's Roll hang out. <laughs> I got tons of room in the backyard. Okay, let's finish up with a big, uh, kind of a big thought question. You can take your time with this one. If you take a few steps back and think about your art and the work you create, the performances you give, why you do it, and maybe what drives you. See if you can finish this sentence for us, okay. or some version of this sentence. I would ultimately like to create something that blank. Like, is there a goal, whether it's achievable or not, or an ideal that maybe you're kind of shooting for when you... I think a goal, as any artist, is to to reach out and to touch people and to, to get them to feel what you're creating. So... Uh, I guess I would like to create a song or whatever that that maybe can change somebody's life for the better, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would that's I think that's the fundamental goal of any artist. Okay. Cool. What was the sentence again? I would ultimately ultimately like to create something that 
I would ultimately like to create something that lasts that something that lets me continue to try to fulfill the body of artistic work that I've pursued for my entire adult life. I just want to keep building on that. Like I think a lot of people that are driven kind of look at their work as just a, a body of it. And like, what have you done? You know, can can you look back on it and know that you've taxed yourself out and pushed yourself to the limits of, of where it can go. And that's, that's what I want to create. I just want to create boundlessness <laughs> of, of artistic work. It's ambitious. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool. That's Third. about what I can think. No, those, those are both good answers. Uh, there are no wrong answers to that question. <laughs> so what's next for you guys? You Is there a timeline to a next record? Sometime this year, but it's just got to get done organically. You know, we, I mean, we like I work on it. I'm just going to like work and work and work on it till it's there. And then when it's there, we've learned it's hard to, to really put a date on something until it's done. Who knows? Maybe the end of the year. I mean, in the meantime, we have the fabulous uh, documentary videos from the recent tour that you've been yeah. releasing. To you guys, you guys are coming up. I look forward yeah. to the one from my living room. Yeah. Uh, the quality of those has been great. I mean, I saw some of the rough cuts when you were here, um, and those are I, I highly recommend those to, yeah. to people out there. There's some really really well done. Live yeah, it's the yeah, it's called the the tour with us series. And then uh, we list the place that we're playing at afterwards. They do. They give you a nice flavor for the the kind of show you guys do, which is a joyful, energetic, fun experience. So Heck yeah, I recommend them. Well, thanks guys for taking the time to talk with me today. Heck yeah, and uh, I'll see you in Southern Oregon in September. But sounds good, Michael. Hi, right, man. Look forward to more music. All right, dude. Tell you what. I tell you. Cheers. See you. <laughs> Bye now. I hope you enjoyed episode two of Tell You What, the podcast. I know I did. Do check out Brothers Read Music, particularly their latest album, Three. You can find everything you need at their website, thebrothersread.com. As mentioned in the discussion, I discovered them via the video series Jam in the Van. Look up their videos on that site. They are great performances. And you might discover some other great music while you are there. Please check out our other episodes via iTunes or at tellyouwhatpodcast.com. Keep an eye out in the future for more conversations with young singer-songwriters. If you'd like to be added to our email list to hear about future episodes, drop us an email at tellyouwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Until then, remember, music is the best. G-N-D-N-C, my friend I can achieve by the end You should not see me again Just feel the breeze and listen to the